This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And as you're turning there, let me offer a word of prayer. Our great God, Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Who shall I come and who, when shall I come and appear before God? Our great King, the Sovereign Lord, we acknowledge that your presence has been in this place long before we are, and should you tarry, it will be in this place long after we are here. We come and humbly and simply ask that we would have a recognition of your presence in every area of our lives, that we would know of your great care and concern for us. And despite your majesty, you are mindful of us. May we grow in grace under the love of Christ as we study prayer this morning. Amen. So this is the final week in a short series on prayer. Week one laid at foundation of prayer. Week two was about the grace of God inviting us into a habit of everyday prayer. And this week will be a little bit different. Today I want to talk about when our prayers seem unanswered. When our prayers seem unanswered. And to do that will be in 1 John 5 at least to, t- to start. If you're not familiar with 1 John, it is different than the Gospel of John, but it was written by the same man. 1 John is a letter, a circular letter. The Gospel of John is a kind of biography of Jesus. And it's important every week when we get together for you to read the Bible for yourself. It is God's Word, and it is given to the world, it's given to the church, but it's also given to you. And so read the Bible for yourself. And my sense this morning is that even though I want that every week, is this will, this kind of a topic, will bring up some things for many of us in the room listening online. And the reason is that there are things that you've prayed about and they haven't gone the way that you wanted them to go. For others of us, you've prayed about some of the same things, some of the same people, for years, still seeing no perceptible movement. And what I want to do is be careful how I speak, because I'm acutely aware every week, but especially when we come to a topic like this, in, in many ways I speak for God. And I don't want to just come up and tell you when I say there's been prayers prayed for a long time and you wonder 
What is God doing with these prayers? I don't want to just make stuff up. I want you to trust that it is God's word that's speaking to you about this. And the best and most responsible way for me to talk for God's word is to talk a lot from God's word. And to make sure that I say things that accord with his word. And so we're going to do quite a bit of Bible this morning. A lot of it I'm just going to read to you. I'm not going to keep you flipping all over the place, but we're going to start in 1 John 5. And when it comes to talking about what seems like unanswered prayers, what happens when our prayers seem unanswered, at the core of that question are two far more fundamental questions. When we ask... What happens when our prayers seem unanswered? How do I process that? What we first need to ask is, who is God? And second, who are we? Who who is God? Another way of asking that question is, what is he like? What is his character? What has he promised and what does he do? And then who are we, especially in relation to him? Who does he say that we are to him? Those are the questions you're really asking when it comes not just to unanswered prayers, but really all all prayers. Who is the God that is listening to us? What has he done? What has he promised to do? And who are we as a people? And I say we, but but this is personal. To God, who are you? Who does God say that you are? When we pray, what does God think when we pray? Now, God has emotions, not like you and I. He's not controlled by his emotions. He's not swayed by his emotions like we can often be. It would not be true to say that God is changed by his emotions and he never reacts out of emotion, but none of that means that he does not have emotions. So what does God think and what does God feel when you pray? It's the big question. Unanswered prayers, but what's happening? Who is God And who does he say that you are? How those two questions are answered will make all the difference in the world when it comes to how we interpret God's response to our prayers. So 1 John 5, starting in verse 13, I'm just going to read three verses. Listen to these as I read. Follow along in your own Bible. I hope you do. I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Okay. So three simple ideas to start these three verses. One in each verse. Verse 13. If you believe in the Son of God, that is Jesus Christ, know that you have eternal life. 
know that. That is to say that if if your hope is in Jesus, you may be assured that you will live with God in heaven forever. That will never be taken away from you if your hope is truly in him. People trust in all kinds of things to give their life meaning and purpose. They pursue money and power and pleasure. But if you have come to know that true life isn't lived through those things, and it is in fact found, true life is found in personal relationship with God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, eternally you have nothing to worry about. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ for all the rest of time, you have nothing to worry about. And the reason John writes this is he wants to give you and I confidence that when it comes to the provision of God, he won't deny us anything we need. So the Apostle Paul wrote something very similar. This is a longer quote from Romans 8. Let me just read this for us. Don't worry about turning there. Romans 8, I'm going to start at verse 28 and just just listen to this. Just let these words kind of wash over you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's the well-known one, but keep listening. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. I know Greek. All things means all things. Next, what Paul says is if you are in Christ Jesus, not even the worst things in the world can separate you from him. And the reason he gives here, a sound And solid as anything could ever be is this. This is the reason. If God was so set on living forever with you, inviting you into his kingdom forever, that in order to make that happen, he gave his own son to assume, take on the punishment for your sin. And so his one and only son, Jesus Christ, was mocked and he was bloodied, and he was crucified, and then he was stabbed just to make sure the job was done, if God would knowingly and willingly do that to grant to you eternal life, then you can be darn sure he's not going to stop short of giving you anything else that's part of his will and that he deems good for you in this life anything of which he will give you now has to cost him far less and is far more simple for him to accomplish than the substitutionary atonement of his one and only son. Did you get that? 
He gave you Jesus Christ crucified. He will give you the other things that he wants you to have. So in 1 John 5.13, that's the first idea. If your faith is in Jesus, God has already given you the greatest gift. Everything else, by definition, is smaller. So remember, under the question of how God answers prayers, who is he and who are you? We can already say he's the God who's absolutely willing to give you the very best of things. He's already proven that. It happened a long time ago. He will give you the best things. You can, you can trust him to give you the smaller things as well. The second idea is in verse 14. So if we ask, it says in that verse, anything according to his will, he hears us. This is big. What about unanswered prayers? He hears us. Now there's hearing, like you hear someone talking, but you're not giving them your full attention. And then there's really listening to someone, right? You've heard somebody, not really listening, and then you've given somebody your full attention. I think there are many of us who know that God can hear us when we talk to him, but we wonder, does he really give us his attention? Does he really listen? Maybe it's because we doubt that he really wants to hear from us. Do you ever ask, okay, I, I get it that God can hear from me, but does he want to? This gets to the question of who does he say that you are? Now, I, I have experience with listening and not really hearing. And then I have experience with really, really giving my attention because I'm a dad. I have two daughters. And sometimes... I wonder if my daughters have some kind of advanced legal training and just lots and lots of trial experience because they keep asking me for stuff long after I've given my answer. Parents, can you track, right? When I give an answer, my daughters don't hear a settled argument they hear the first round of negotiations has now begun. Now, here's the thing. I actually am a dad that wants them to learn to obey authority. So I want them, and we try to teach them at my house, when you hear somebody in authority give you an answer, you've received your answer. However... I just don't think I'm as intimidating as I want to be as a dad because time and time again, when I say no, you know, they don't say, thank you for your time, sir. Instead, the response usually starts with, well, what about if we do, you know, this? So here's the deal. In my humanness, I have three general responses to this. Now, number one is enough is enough. Stop asking. I know this is the source of the problem because I just, I don't do this enough. They, they figured it out that they can wear me down. 
Like they just, they just understand if we keep pressing, we will wear me down. The second way is go to your mom. Um, no, not really. I don't do that. I'm kidding. Second is I won't get upset, but I will stop listening. Just being very honest, there are times when my kids are talking to me and I'm thinking about other stuff. Don't judge that. Parents, you've all done the same thing. Like you just, uh, that's, why, that's why you, when you don't have small children, talk to parents and their kids are just screaming in the background. Like maybe they stab themselves and the parents don't even hear it. Like I can ride in my car, which is a small enclosed space, and my kids can be screaming and I can just be driving, having a great time all by myself. I've developed that ability. That's actually funny. This is an aside. It's actually become quite an effective technique because my, old, my older daughter, who's 11, has become relationally mature enough to realize she, she can actually tell, like, I've just checked out at this point. And so she'll be like, you're not really listening to me anymore, are you? And I'll be like, no, I'm, I'm not. And then she'll just get frustrated and give up and kind of walk away. And so, listen, I'm, I'm not advocating for just frustrating your, chi- your children out of, you know, talking to you about things, but it works. I'm just saying it works sometimes. But there is a third response. There's the third response, and it's the one I want to do all the time. I don't. This is what I think is the best for them. I am asked for things every single day that are not good and certainly not the best for my children. I took my two girls to Target yesterday just by myself to pick up a few things. I got asked for every kind of potato chip and sugary cereal in the store. At one point, my three-year-old said she wanted some men's shaving cream. (laughs) I'm not making this up. When she told me what she was going to do with it, she picked it up and acted like she was going to squirt it in her mouth. Not kidding, it was a can of Barbasol. In my best moments as a father, I consider what my children are asking for And if it's not good for them, I say no. Sometimes I sit down to tell them shaving cream isn't food. If we eat it, it's probably going to make us sick or worse. But other times, I don't tell them even the reasons. There are things that my children aren't ready for. So my oldest daughter has like a tablet thing from school, and she wants a phone. Fortunately, the, the tablet is, is locked down really well. There are only certain educational things the district gives her access to, and she can't even email with anybody outside of her very school. So I'm not too worried about that. But we're not getting her a phone right now. And I haven't told her all the reasons. Do you hear what I'm saying in that? I haven't, I haven't told her all the reasons. There are things that for an 11-year-old, she just doesn't need to know. There are things that that phone could open up to her that I don't want her to know exist yet. When she's older, she will know about many of them. There will come a day when she will have one of these phones. And even on that day, we'll talk about some of the things pretty directly. But even at that point, there will things that we we'll still not talk about with her. There are evils and wickedness in our world that I will 
I am unlikely to ever discuss with her unless it's directly a problem. 1 John 5.14 isn't the only place in the New Testament that tells us that God listens to all the prayers of people who trust in Jesus' name, but that doesn't mean he responds equally to every single prayer. John 9.31 tells us that if anyone is a worshiper in God and does his will, God listens to him or her. Matthew 21.22 says that if you come to God with faith, he will answer you. Where many of us get stuck is the feeling that God is either distant or uninterested or irritated that we've come. We've come, at, we've come under this notion that God sort of begrudgingly listens to our prayers, but really he's disappointed or annoyed. Christian, that's not true. If you love him and if you follow him, He loves to hear your prayers. Proverbs 15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. His delight. When you love him, when your love for him leads to an obedience of him, when you are disobedient, but your prayer is that in your heart you are grieved by your sins, so you renounce it and you seek righteousness. God loves when you pray. He invites you to pray all the time. That's what it says in his work, pray without ceasing. He is not a father who has learned to tune out his kids while he drives around in the van. He loves when you pray, and that's what it says in his word, pray without ceasing. And there is never a prayer you offer that he won't listen to. That's who he is. He's the God who chooses and promises to delight in you. And he is patient and he is kind and he is forgiving. You, if you are in Christ, are one he loves. Not begrudgingly, but affectionately, tenderly. Also ferociously in the sense that he has grabbed you and will not let you go. So pray and pray a lot because it gives your heavenly father great delight. Last verse, 13. Sorry, 15. In 13, God gave you a son all the proof you'll ever need that he loves you. Verse 14, God listens to your prayers. In fact, he loves when you seek him in prayer. Verse 15, he answers us in the way that is best for us. So the verse again says, verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Remember what preceded this though in verse 14. God hears and answers according to his will. There is no promise in scripture that gives me whatever I want in exactly the way that I want it. But over and over and over again in scripture, I am promised that when I want the will of God, 
when I seek his face, when my greatest joy isn't the things of this world, but is more of him, he will give that to me. He will give me more of himself in abundance. And according to his grace and his generosity and his steadfast love for me, he'll continue to give me more and more and more. So let me ask you this. If the only thing, just think about this for a second. If the only thing that God ever gave was forgiveness of your sin through the cross of Jesus, would that be enough? Would it still be grace? You can only answer yes. Yes and amen. You can only answer that that is more than enough, that it is more grace than you deserve. If it was the cross and the resurrection alone, it would be infinitely more than you're worthy of. But that is not all God does. It's that and so much more. The best thing that we can pray for is the will of God to be done. And honestly, why would he want anything else? If God is who he says he is, if he is a gracious father that gives you what is best, why would you want anything else but his will? Even if it meant riches, success, fame, whatever the world has to offer, why would you want it if it's contrary to the will of this wonderful God? This tender, sovereign, perfectly wise God. One and holy, unique in three persons. The Bible says he is. Why would you want anything but that which he pours out to you? Because he has promised to only give you what is best for you. So take comfort in that. And pray all your prayers asking that God's will would be done. When you're not sure what to pray for, pray for God's will to be done in your life and the life of others. Ask him to guide you in his will. Pray that he would be merciful and spare you from stepping outside of his will. And when you do step out on your own, Pray that he would lead you quickly back to repentance and peace of heart and mind. Because he will, if that's your prayer. If you're not sure what his will is, pray and believe in faith that he'll lead you in wisdom. That's what James 1.5 tells us to do. And finally, trust that what is happening is the will of God. This sort of brings us back to how to respond when our prayers seem unanswered. I think that there's a few things that, that we've seen here. For one, what you're asking God for in prayer may not be what he wants for you. Trust there's a better way. Another thing is to remember that no is an answer. So is not right now. Not hearing answers to our prayers can feel lonely or actually bring out fear and induce anxiety. I've talked with and prayed with lots of people in, in many rooms 
who are pleading with God to work in their life or in the life of someone they love. And sometimes it doesn't go the way that we want it to. Where do you go from that place? That's why prayers with different answers have the potential to leave us unsure, to leave us nervous. But the the writer of Hebrews reminds us, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, that God has promised not to leave us or forsake us and that he is our helper, so we should not fear. So when it comes to unanswered prayers, I need to speak to two different groups of people because when it comes to prayer, there's a big difference in these two groups. So here's the groups. If you are a Christian, again, your hope is in Jesus, you want to obey him, and you're willing to follow him as Lord. No, be certain that God hears you and trusts that he is working according to his will. If you're not a Christian, the Bible does teach a couple of things about your prayers. It is possible for God to respond and to hear and to act according to the prayers of people who are not Christians. He's that kind of a gracious God. But much and the greater emphasis on teaching in the scriptures of what God does with prayers for people who are not his followers, who don't worship him, show us how serious of a matter it is to pray to a God that we refuse to bend the knee to, that we blaspheme with our words or our life. The best thing for you to do if you do not know Christ is not to keep praying to God sometimes, hoping that you cover your bases, hoping you can make a little deal with him, hoping that if you spread your prayers around among a few false gods, maybe you'll hit the real one every once in a while. The best thing for you, your only hope, my only hope, the only hope of every person is to repent in the name of Jesus so that you may know the love of God and that you may have peace with him. And that kind of peace will change your life. I thought a lot about my own unanswered prayers this week. So a few different categories I have when I kind of reflect back on my own prayer life, things I, I've asked God for. I can think of prayers that I've prayed, and, and I can look back on those prayers, and I praise God that he didn't grant what I was asking for. Those things would have been terrible for me. I can look back and think, oh, God, praise your name for you have spared me from so much grief and heartache. There's a lot of prayers that I'm still waiting on. There's a lot of prayers that I will definitely be waiting on for a long time. We're told to to pray about some things for a long time because God wants to work through our perseverance and teach us to trust in him. So there are things that I'm praying about that cannot happen for 15 or 20 years. Still praying about them now. But there are prayers that I have, and I'm sure that you have these ones too, where God has simply said no. 
And as far as I can tell, isn't ever planning to change that answer, and, and, I, and I'm not sure why. Some of them he may change at some point, but I've got no indication he will. A, a big one for my wife and I is our family. At different points, our hope and our prayer has been for more kids. And let me just say really quickly before I say this, two things. First, we love the two children that we have, and if that's where we end up, there's so much there to love and to celebrate. That's more than the grace of God. And the second thing is, I am well aware that when I say we have two kids but have prayed for more, there are couples who have a child, there are couples who have no children and have hoped for them. So saying we have two to others sounds like an embarrassment of riches. Might sound even greedy to say we want more, but, but the truth is we have prayed for more kids. And we have some inkling of how the Lord is answering, or I guess you could say not answering that, but we just also don't know. And I'm really hesitant to hold myself up as any kind of example in this because I can tell you what I've learned, but a lot of times it hasn't been easy, and I haven't been a model for doing these things. At times I've felt more, but a lot of times less peace with how I've prayed and what I've felt God doing in response to those prayers. And so I get it. If you have been praying about something for a long time, if you've prayed about something and you feel the answer is no, I'm there with you. I've I've heard that. But I'm just me. I'm just a man. Jesus also heard that. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed that if it were any way possible for the cup to be removed of his suffering from him, please would the Father do it. But when he heard, no, this is the way, he said, not my will, God, but your will be done. You might wonder, well, how could Jesus identify with me in this? The book of Hebrews says we don't have a Savior unacquainted with our grief. Jesus prayed that he wouldn't suffer. Jesus prayed that he wouldn't know loss and heartache. He wouldn't know grief. But he heard the Father say no. And so he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross and praised the name of the Father the whole way through. The bottom line is this. I really do want God to be glorified in my life. And the best way possible is to walk in the good works that he has prepared in advance for me. And if that means in this way or other ways holding the status quo, I'm learning to be okay with that. For me and my family, we also got to experience feeling like it had been no for quite a while, and then we were blessed with a second child. And I know that lots of us could tell a story. One of the things that strikes me most poignantly about being a pastor is how every time I sit with anybody, I hear a story. No one's life is as ideal as you think it is. Many of you have trusted me enough to tell me yours. And so I know that basically everybody in this room and everybody listening and everybody you will ever talk to has prayed 
and heard no, prayed and heard nothing, prayed a long time, finally heard yes, prayed a long time and they still don't know. I know that there are many who have come in here praying for years, wondering for years, hoping for years, grieving things before the Lord for years, lamenting things, and you are tired, and you are weary. And I want you to know that through Christ, God hears you. He hears the prayers of his people. He prepares good for you, and he will give you all things. And you can be sure of that because he's given you Christ. And I want to invite you, if you've been praying about something for a long time, if you just don't know what to pray anymore, I want to invite you to trust me, trust Pastor Tim, trust one of our elders, trust another member of our church. This is a group of people who loves one another. If you just don't know what to pray anymore, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you and trust God with you and hopefully be of some encouragement just to sit together. But if you wonder, you think, I'm just, just about out of gas when it comes to my prayers. One of the greatest blessings that God gives us is fellowship together in the local church. Trust somebody to pray with you, for you, but also know that God does hear you. And he's promised to give you what is best. And he will fulfill that promise in Christ now and for the rest of your days in this world. And if we have the son, he will give us eternal life. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.